Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Got a cup. What's that? Amen. Uh, let's see. Just a second. Just wanted to make sure our recording was started, and it is. A uh, couple of announcements as we get going this morning. If you didn't catch the smell, we've got a potluck brewing for after the service. So I'm already excited. I can smell Kathy's chili and, and other smells mingling. So I'm excited. Please, uh, please uh, feel free to join us for that after the service. Uh, another thing to, to note this morning is that this Saturday, February 11th at 10 a.m., Dean Bartlett, who's not here this morning, um, is going to be meeting with anyone interested in helping to plan ahead for this summer and the summer cookout. So Dean wants to be proactive about thinking and planning about that way ahead of time. So I'd encourage you, if you're at all interested in helping with that, uh, to, uh, uh, to plan on being there for that planning meeting that's this Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, Let's see. If you haven't noticed, uh, we're doing the, the Zoe Women's Center bo baby bottle fundraiser again this year. So there's baby bottles over here in the corner that are not baby bottles. They are little piggy banks. And so they're to fill with all sorts of loose change or cash or whatever you'd like to put in it. And the proceeds are all going to go towards the Zoe Women's Center in Rockport, which ministers to, um, uh, to pregnant women who are in need and in helping them. Uh, to provide for, uh, for their, their child and to encourage them to choose life. And so it's a great ministry. I'd encourage you to support it. Um, and, uh, and the baby bottles are over there, and those will need to be turned in by the 26th. Let's see. I think that's everything in the bulletin. Any announcements I'm missing this morning? Okay. Well, it's wonderful to have you all here this morning. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we are grateful for this opportunity to be together as your people, to be together under the teaching of your word, to be together as we sing songs of praise to you, and to come together to, to your table, and to the table of your grace. We ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be present here among us this morning, that we would not be... Um, a gathering that is empty of the presence of God, but that here as we gather together under your word and sing your praises, that we would have a true experience of you together in community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand together as we begin the service and uh, for our call to worship. And so on the back of your bulletin, uh, we've got our, our call to worship for this morning, which is Psalm 111. Um, So the, the response there, uh, the congregation's response will be in bold. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. 
He provides food for those who fear him. He has shown his people the power of his works. The works of his hands are faithful and just. They are established forever and ever. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Amen. 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 And you can remain standing and open to number 100 in your blue hymnal, Thou Art Worthy. Sing this through a couple of times. This time I'll ask the ushers to come forward and take our morning offering. Ask a blessing over the offering. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, all power you have left us, 
We thank you for all that you do and all that you have done. We give back, O oh Lord, glory and fortune that you allow us to have in the first place with this money. Mm. May we use it wisely in your service, by your care, by your way. Mm. I pray all this in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 We read now our scripture reading for the morning, which will be found in Revelation chapter 4. That's page 967 in your pew Bibles if you're following along there. Revelation chapter 4. This is a revelation the Apostle John received of the presence of God in heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I want to skip down and read a couple of verses from Revelation 5 as well as we prepare to sing this next song. Revelation 5, beginning in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the Lamb, who is Christ, had taken the scroll, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, before Jesus, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people of God 
from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's stand together. You can open your green books to number 202 as we sing the praises of God and of the Lamb. He 
does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of our blessing and Take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. Let's go to the Lord together. Our Father and our God, we're so grateful to be able to come to you in prayer and to know that you hear. We're so grateful that we are not without one who is all-powerful, who knows all things, who knows the end from the beginning. We know that you, you hold power and might in your right hand. We know that you are great and that you are mighty and that you made all things. And what a comfort that is as we come to you to know that you are all powerful and not only that you are all powerful, but that you are kind to hear those who come to you that in your covenant kindness you draw us near through Christ. We praise you, Lord, that you are mighty and that you are good, that you are glorious and that you are gentle to those who come to you in humility. And as we come to you this morning, Lord, we, we can go no, for, no further without admitting that we fall far short of your glory, that we are sinners, in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our actions, consciously and unconsciously, Lord, we know we have sinned against you. That we fall far short of your glory. And that apart from the mercies of Christ, we would be lost. And so as we come to you this morning, we, our desire is to keep short accounts with you. Our desire is that the, the hidden thoughts of our hearts would be made known to you. So we confess our sins to you this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would have mercy on us. Let's take a moment now to, to confess our sins silently to God.
Father, it is the ground of our assurance and the center of our hope that you are faithful and that you are kind and that through Jesus Christ you have made a way that we might be forgiven. That for those who confess their sins to you and lean entirely on Jesus' name, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we come to confess to you this morning, Lord, we boldly claim the words of Psalm 103 for ourselves. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. It's because of him, because we know he, he even now is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, that we come boldly before your throne, knowing that you hear us when we pray. We finish today, Lord, by thanking you for your providential care. It's a praise written down here on a card. What a what a gift to know that you watch over us every day and every hour, that you are never far from us, that even in our suffering you are there, even in the darkness you are there, even when we, we think we cannot hear you, you are there, and you are with us with your right hand to guide us. I pray, Lord, that you'd, that you'd encourage us with that fact, that you are with us, and that even this morning, as we go to your word, that we would understand that you have put us in this place at this time, coming to this text for a reason, and that for each of us, there are ways in which you will be prodding us to grow, encouraging us, comforting us, convicting us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive what you would have for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Before we go to the word, let's stand together, and we'll sing one more song together. You can open your green books, number 46, to paraphrase of Psalm 46, Our Refuge, God of Israel.
As we go to the Word this morning, you can open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And here's what I would want us to see this morning in Genesis 28. A real experience of God will change you. A real experience of God will change you. We're going to see that truth this morning in the life of a man named Jacob. And we pick up Jacob's story on the heels of his great deception, which we looked at last week, where Jacob fooled his father Isaac into giving him his blessing and in giving him the blessing, not only his own blessing as father, but the blessing of God which rested on Isaac. He's now going to Jacob. And we read at the end of Genesis 27 how Jacob's brother Esau, who's, who the blessing was stolen from in some sense, was not pleased with this, and how Esau had plotted to kill him. And so we, we come to the beginning of Genesis 28 with Jacob on the run. With his father Isaac sending him off, commissioning him, blessing him, and sending him to his, his, um, his uncle, Laban, um, to Jacob's mother's brother, far away from Esau and his plot. And as we're about to read, at the end of Jacob's first day on the road, he finds himself with nothing really but the clothes on his back and a stick in his hand. And as the sun sets, the place he finds to rest his head is a rock. And as he lays down 
outside under the stars with only a rock for a pillow, something happens there which rocks Jacob's world. He falls asleep, and in a dream, he receives a vision from the Lord. There, God reveals himself to Jacob. And there, with his head laid on a rock for a pillow, Jacob catches a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. And not only of the glory of the Lord, but the Lord also reveals to him his covenant kindness. And this changes everything for Jacob. And what I would want for us this morning, as we look at this text, as we come to God's word, is that we, all of us, we too would have a true, real, living experience of God. You see, before this encounter, every indication is that Jacob had a nominal understanding of God. He knew what his fathers had told him. He had an intellectual understanding of God. He was quite interested in the blessing of God. But as we saw last week, he was quite casual when it came to God himself, tossing his name around almost blasphemously. But here, something changes. Because here, Jacob's knowledge of God becomes experiential. Here, the glory of God breaks through, and the kindness of God cuts through, and Jacob is never able to be the same. A real experience of God will change you, and my prayer this morning is that we, too, would have a real experience of God, whether that be for the first time or for the hundredth time, that we would have a real experiential encounter with the glory of God and the kindness of Jesus. Let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis chapter 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padnaram to the house of Bethuel, your, father, your mother's father. And take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. <coughs> Excuse me. May he give... <clears throat> May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padnaram, to Laban, to the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padnaram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padnaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. 
Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north into the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the the name of the city was Luz at its first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me to keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we come to your word this morning that you would meet us here, that we would have a real experience of your glory and of the kindness of your covenant love towards us. I ask, Lord, that you would help and bless my feeble attempts to exposit, to explain, and to apply the word of God that you would use it effectually in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A real experience of God will change you. It will change you. When Jacob went to sleep that night with his head on a stone, two things happened to him in this dream. He saw and he heard. God reveals himself to Jacob in two ways, through what he shows Jacob and through what he tells Jacob. And as a result, Jacob changes. And we'll follow that through. What does Jacob see? He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder. We've got three beholds here. First, behold, there was a ladder. What kind of a ladder? 
or a staircase, could be translated either way, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven, a, a stairway to heaven. And behold, second behold, angels. Angels going down and going up the ladder. This is a stairway to heaven on which angels are ascending and descending. And third behold, what does he see? Behold, the Lord stood above it. First a ladder, wow, then angels, wow, and then the Lord standing above the ladder. And what does he say? I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. What is Jacob's reaction? What did he feel on this occasion? We're told, verse 17, he was afraid. He was afraid. And we see this is, this is actually the universal reaction of human beings, mortals, when they are given a glimpse of the immortal one. Throughout scripture, whenever God opens heaven and reveals his glory, whenever an angel appears and makes its glory manifest to human beings, what's the first thing out of the angel's mouth? Do not be afraid. Because, because for us to get a glimpse of heavenly realities, it is a terrifying thing. Because God is great. And he is holy. And because we are humans and we are fallen and we fall far short of his glory. And so the first experience of Jacob in this dream is of fear. Because he sees the Lord. Previously, as we've already said, Jacob's understanding of God seems to be nominal. It seems to be surface level. He knows the blessings are valuable. He, he, he really wants the blessings of God. He goes to great lengths to get the blessings of God. But in the process, he treats the name of God lightly. You remember? He uses the Lord's name in vain, just tossing it around wherever it's useful. And then here, in the night... Out of the darkness comes a voice, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. This God of which Jacob had only heard, this God of which Jacob really only knew about, he now knew experientially. There is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There is a difference between being able to say true things about God and even affirm them with your words and knowing God. And one litmus test this passage gives us for knowing the difference between surface knowledge and real knowledge is fear. 
If your relationship with God, if your understanding of God in His majesty, in His power, in His holiness has never sent you to your knees, you do not know the true God. Not really. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God, the God of Isaac. It's worth thinking about the staircase here. What's going on with the staircase? Why a ladder? Why a stairway? In all in all likelihood, the first thing this would have called to mind, perhaps for Jacob and certainly for the first readers of this account, would have been the temples of ancient Mesopotamia. Maybe you've seen pictures of them. They're like the pyramids, only the steps are bigger. And the way the pagan peoples thought about them was quite literally that they were stair staircases to heaven. That as you traveled up the side of these pagan temples, you were actually getting closer to these false gods. And so here, Isaac is given a picture of a, a stairway to heaven, the way up to the true God, and it's not on the side of some Mesopotamian ziggurat. It's here at his feet, laying on the ground, a stairway. And what does he see on them? Angels going up and down. The picture here is of access that this is where what's in heaven is coming down and what's on earth can go up to heaven. How does Jacob express his understanding of this? Verse 17, he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob's grasping to try and understand what he's seeing here. And his best understanding is this seems to be some place in which God has made the distance between heaven and earth very short. That this is a place where heaven almost touches earth. We'll talk more about that as we go along. Because in the Old Testament, God continues to give his people places like this. Eventually, it's the tabernacle and the temple. This is where heaven meets earth. This is where God comes near. But for our purposes right now, I want us to note that this stairway stands for access. What we don't find here, what Jacob doesn't see, is God exalted and unreachable. He sees God exalted and sending his messengers down. He sees God exalted and actually reaching out to him. You see, Jacob's experience of God here and our experience of God too should not end with fear. God astounds Jacob with his glory and then almost immediately reaches out in covenant love. What does he say? 
I am the Lord. And then what does he say? The God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. You know, the one who's, who's been in covenant with your fathers. I'm the God you know, or at least the God you've heard of. And what does he then do? The Lord reiterates to Jacob all the wonderful promises he'd made to, to his fathers, almost word for word. This should sound familiar to you by now, right? What has God promised them? I'm the Lord, your God, your, the land on which you lie, I will give to you, right? Land. And what else? People. Verse 14, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. Right? And what else? Not only I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to make of you a great people, but what the, what's the people going to do? In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, right? This is the same promise we heard to Abraham. It's the same promise that was given to Isaac. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to get, bring you into the land. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Right? He's reminding Jacob of his covenant faithfulness. He says, this is the covenant I've made with your fathers, and I'm making it with you too. And then he says something unique, verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What incredible words those are. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What an assurance that must have been for Jacob, for a man who's on the run for his life, a man with nothing but the clothes on his back and a walking stick in his hand. But now the Lord, the mighty maker of the heaven and earth, has made a covenant with him and has promised solemnly, Though you may have nothing, I am with you, and I will not leave you until I've given you everything I have promised you. You see, the glory of God, the power of God, which at first is almost traumatic, becomes incredibly comforting in the context of covenant. And this is how God relates to his people. This is how God draws us near. This is how God, in effect, lets down the stair staircase from heaven and draws us up to him, is by making us great covenant promises. You see, this is the comfort. For, imagine just the vision of God's glory apart from any of this covenant reassurance. But now the vision of glory coupled with this covenant reassurance becomes not traumatic, but invigorating. Can you imagine the despair he laid his head down on the rock with that night, and then the hope he woke up with the next morning that the, the mighty maker of the heavens and the earth was with him and would, would not leave him. I've already asked this morning, have you had a real experience of the glory of God, of the fear of God? But now I want to ask you, have you had 
a real experience, a real knowledge of the covenant love of God. Have you known experientially, not just verbally, that you can be loved and known by God? As it was with Jacob, so it is with us. That God has let down the staircase, so to speak, ultimately, finally, in the person of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say in the end of John 1? Speaking to Nathanael, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's pointing to himself as the gateway to heaven. How is it that we have seen God's glory revealed in these last times? John 1 again. And speaking of Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has revealed Himself to us in Jesus, and not only in His glory, right? In the person of Jesus, God has shown us His glory, and He's also laid out for us a wonderful covenant, the new covenant in his blood. And the terms of the covenant are simple. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This wonderful covenant is that God has sent his son into the world and that for those who belong to him, those who trust in him, his death becomes for us forgiveness, his resurrection becomes for us eternal life. And the promise of his second coming becomes for us eternal and infinite hope. So, Again, let me ask you, friends, do you know this hope? Do you know this God? Do you know this Jesus? Or do you merely know about him? Jonathan Edwards, the famous New England preacher, famously spoke about honey. And he said it's possible for a man to, to wax eloquently for hours about how sweet honey is, about how the, the taste of honey is wonderful, and to have never actually tasted it. That it's one thing to talk about the taste of honey, but it's another thing altogether to feel it on your tongue and to taste of its sweetness. Friend, do you know the covenant love of God in Jesus Christ? Do you know it? Has it changed you? Has it become for you your deepest hope, your greatest joy, that you have been reconciled to God in Jesus Christ? 
Is this for you the reason you live and breathe? I love these words in verse 15. They are incredible words. And if you are a Christian, they are true of you. Here, taste the sweetness of these promises. If you're a Christian, God speaks this over you. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob was going now out of the promised land, he's crossing the border out to the land of his fathers. And as he crosses over the border, God promises him, I will bring you back. You may be leaving the promised land, but you can never leave the protection of the God of the promises. He will follow you. He will chase you down. Jesus, John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Friend, if you are in Christ, Jesus is holding on to you. And he will bring you back into the land. Maybe you're in a place of rebellion. I've been here before. You're in a place of rebellion. And you know you're wandering from God. Let me assure you this morning, if you belong to Christ... He will bring you back because he loves you. Maybe you're in a place this morning where everything seems to be falling apart. Maybe you feel like you're wandering outside of the promised land now and you're not sure you know the way back and you're not sure that you can find your own way home. I am with you, says the Lord, and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. And as we extrapolate this promise forward, what we look forward to ultimately is the coming of the new heavens and of the new earth. 
that God will, he will bring us into the promised land, that there is a day when he will make all things new. And friends, he will not leave us until he has given all that he has promised. He will not stop until we are in that land. And even there, he will not leave us. For there, the very presence of God will be our light. Do you know this God? Have you experienced his glory? Have you experienced his love and kindness to you in Jesus? If you have, things either have changed or will begin to change. The first change that we see in Jacob is what we've already talked about. He experiences the fear of the Lord. The first change is that he understands for the first time that God is God and he is not. And that is the foundation of all true wisdom. To understand that God is God and that we are not. That's his reaction to the glory of God. But the reaction to the covenant of God is commitment on the part of Jacob. Commitment. When he wakes from his sleep, first of all, he's astonished and sort of afraid. Wow, God showed up. This is incredible. He, he, he has a sense that this is sacred ground, that this is holy ground. And he makes a vow in verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. This is a somewhat controversial verse because there's some question among the scholars as to whether Jacob's doing the right thing here because he seems to make he seems to make his faithfulness to God conditional, where he says, if God will keep me and clothe me and feed me and bring me back, then he will be my God. But I'm pretty hesitant to take any issue with what Jacob says on this point. Because as I understand it, all that Jacob is asking of God is what God had promised him already. There's a lot wrapped up in the word keep in verse 15. I am with you and will keep you. The idea here is to, to watch over, to guard. The idea is of a protective keeping. And I think out of that, Jacob is drawing food and clothing and coming back to his father's house, right? All of this God has already promised. I will keep you. I will bring you back to the land. God has promised it in no uncertain terms. And so I think all Jacob is doing is he's saying, if you will do this, I'll take you at your word. If this is what you have promised, what's his vow? The Lord shall be my God. And he says it out loud. The Lord shall be my God. 
Friends, have you come to that point this morning? The Lord shall be my God. My God. And he's, he's saying that not in a shallow way, right? He's got a real understanding of who God is. He's not messing around now. He's seen the Lord exalted. He knows what it means that God is his God. The Lord shall be my God. And along with that, he makes, he does two other things. First of all, he promises a tithe. He promises a tithe. We won't spend too much time on this. He says, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the first instance of a tithe in Scripture. And what he's promising by way of giving to God a tenth of what he's given is actually to recognize that all God had given him was God's in the first place. Right? And this is very much what we pray every week over the offering. Right? That in giving a portion, we're not holding the rest back for ourselves. In giving a portion, what we're saying is, it was all yours to begin with, God. And this is true not only of monies that we give towards the work of the ministry, but also of everything that we give to God, whether that be our time, whether that be our efforts. Right. Everything that we give to God is just a way of saying, it's all yours to begin with. I'm yours to begin with. Right. The idea of a tithe is not to keep back 90%. Actually, from the very beginning, the whole point is to put the whole life on the altar. To live as a living sacrifice. To say, okay, if you're going to be my God, I'm all in. And I recognize everything I have is from you and I want to give thanks for it. Just going on with the tithe. What's going on with the rock? And this is really, this is, I want to think about this, because this, this probably strikes you as weird right off the bat. It's like, what is he doing with this rock? It's his pillow at first, and then what does he do? He, he stands it up. Verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar, and he pours oil on top of it. And this is, this is anointing. This is a way of saying this is blessed of God, set apart by God. And in verse 22, he says, This stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And this, this sounds maybe ridiculous on its face. Like, what? You mean God is going to live there, Jacob? I don't think that's what Jacob means. Jacob's just seen the Lord high and exalted in the heavens. I think Jacob knows the Lord isn't going to live in this rock. But what had Jacob recognized about this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He recognized that in a special way on that night, the veil between heaven and earth had been very thin there, and that God had met him and spoken to him. That this is the place where he's seen God. No wonder he wants to set it apart. He wants to remember. He wants to be able to come back here. And he, he calls the place Bethel. Beth meaning house, El meaning God. Bethel, the house of God. He wants to be able to come back here. This begins the, the pattern of the Old Testament saints. At various times, in different ways, God sets aside a particular place. And that's where he, he ordains that his people should worship him and, and meet with him. 
and they're to take very special care to mark out this place and to remember it and to keep coming back to it. Because these are the people of God and they want to meet with God. They want to experience God. And so Jacob's very careful to mark out, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. And it's this, it's this whole trajectory through the, the Old Testament. Where is it that God meets with his people? All the way up to the coming of Jesus Christ. And you remember in John's Gospel, the woman at the well asks him a question. Where is it that we should worship God, O prophet? If you're such a prophet, tell me this. Where should we worship God? And what does Jesus tell her? The time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, not on Mount Gerizim, not in the temple, but the time was coming when God would pour out his spirit on all people. And of course, Jesus is, in a very true sense, the ultimate Bethel, house of God, right? In Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. It's in Jesus that we meet the presence of God. And then as Jesus sends us his Holy Spirit, and this is the incredible reality of the New Testament, that you, if you are a Christian, are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and according to Christ and the apostles, you are a temple of God. If you're a Christian, God dwells in you by His Holy Spirit. And that actually, as we come to His Word, God Himself speaks to us. And so that maybe the question that emerges at this point is, well, how can we... Sure, it's all fine and good. We should experience God like Jacob experienced God. But, but how? Come on. We're not, we're not all going to get dreams like that, right? Should I go out and find a boulder tonight? Like, how is it that we can experience the glory and the kindness of God? And the answer is, by His Spirit in His Word. By His Spirit in His Word. God's Spirit lives in you. And the way to keep coming back to Bethel, the way to keep coming back to the presence of, his, of God, is to keep coming back to the Word. Christian, are you living in the Word? Have you erected a stone on top of your Bible and anointed it and said, this is the house of God, this is where I will meet Him, and have you kept coming back? Or have you erected a stone and gone away for a long time? Come back to the Word. Make it your daily, weekly practice to come to Jesus in the Word. This is where you'll meet Him. And of course, this isn't His only established means, right? We're called temples of the Holy Spirit. But this too, in a sense, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can remember as a kid hearing older men in my congregation say something like, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? And I can remember as a young, headstrong man thinking, come on, this isn't the house of the Lord. The temple is gone. This building is not the, the, the house of the Lord. Right? What are you thinking? 
but it turns out they were right. Not that the building is the temple of God, but that we, as his people, are his dwelling place. And that we, as we gather together, even this morning, in the presence of his Holy Spirit, are Bethel, the house of God. And this is why the New Testament commands that we not forsake the gathering of the believers because it's here under the teaching of the word in the songs of our praises and as we come to the table of God together that God meets us here in a special way. A real experience of God will change you. And my prayer for us as a people is that on an ongoing basis, we would experience the glory of God that would put us on our knees, that we would experience the kindness of God that then lifts us up and draws us to the table in a real way, in an experiential way, like honey on the tongue, and that that would lead us both to honor God, to fear Him as our Lord, and also to commit our lives to him, that he would be our God, that we would give of ourselves in sacrificial service to him, and that we would mark out the house of God, that we would make it our daily, our weekly, our ongoing practice until that day when we see him face to face, to come to the word, to come to the house of God, to experience him time and time again, that our knowledge of his glory and of his kindness would not fade, but remain every day of our lives. We're going to come to the table now. And in preparation, we're going to acapella, just the voices, we're going to sing number 486. Come ye sinners. And I'd like to do this in a different way. So we're just going to have the voices, number 486. And I want to sing this as a call and a response. So there's a, there's a refrain, a chorus, and it's the same melody as the verse. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. And I want us to understand that as we go to the table, what we're doing is responding to the invitation of Jesus. And so let's stand together. And again, just the voices. I'm going to sing the verse, and then I'd like us to respond together with the chorus. Okay? So I want you to hear these verses actually as the invitation of Jesus. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus, he will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Verse 3. Hear this as the invitation of Jesus. 
Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him together. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are ten thousand charms. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are ten thousand charms. Amen. Kevin, would you come forward? And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. As we go to the table, I want to, I want to read to you the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, For I received of the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.